So I don't remember exactly what year it was, but somewhere around Christmas 1984, maybe 1985, somewhere around there when I was about, about seven, eight years old, right, second, third grade. Why, I don't, why is that funny, Ethan? <laughs> anyway, a long, long time ago, <laughs> um, so, yes, Christmas. It's a very special Christmas because me and my brother got a particular gift that year that totally changed our lives. We got our own television set, a TV set for our room. It was really exciting. And I remember it. It was a 13-inch black and white. Yes, color TVs were invented around then, but they were for something like this. We just got a little black and white in our room. And so we were really excited. Got the cable hooked up on there. And I'm so excited because I remember telling this to my parents that now, see, I'm so excited because I was going to be able to watch the A-Team now. Because for what, yes. <laughs> for whatever reason, our parents wouldn't let us watch the A-Team. I don't know if it was on too late or just... The violence, which, I mean, it wasn't that violent because they always shoot to flip the car and everybody always pops out like they're supposed to and nobody ever gets hurt and they get captured. And so it really wasn't all that violent. But I, I was so excited because I was going to be able to watch the A-Team. But my mom overheard me plotting to do this. And she told us that if, if she ever caught us watching the A-Team on this television, it would be taken away from us. And so I was so disappointed and my disappointment went for years and years. And finally, when I was about 28 years old, or something, just a few years ago, I got to talking to my mom about that and just reminiscing about that story. And I said, yeah, and you, you, you told us that you would take our TV away if you caught us watching the A-Team. And she said, I don't remember that. I don't think I said that. And I'm like, yes, you definitely said that. And she said, well, I mean, I wouldn't have taken it away from you. And see, that's the thing about your parents. Your parents will lie to you. <laughs> your parents will lie to you to get you to behave a certain way. Another example, that your parents, you if you have a sibling, we ever in the back seat of your car just annoying annoying each other to no end. And what do your parents always say? I'm going to pull this car over, I'll make you get out and walk. And I always believed that growing up. And I just remember like Sometime in my 20s, just thinking about that one day, I was like, you know, there's no way that they would have made me get out and walk. I mean, that child services would have been all over that. You know, kind of along the lines of, I, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. <laughs> they can't do that. They'll go to jail if they do that. Your parents will tell you lies to get you to behave. In fact, Bill Cosby and Bill Cosby himself put it pretty brilliantly. He said, parents are not interested in justice. Parents are interested in quiet. <laughs> and they'll do whatever it takes to get that quiet. There's another big lie that your parents told you all your life. And it's definitely a lie. It says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words never hurt. And that's a lie. That's a big lie. Words hurt. Words are very powerful. And see, we're talking about this semester about being mature, spiritual maturity. And maturity is kind of a growth and functionality. And as you mature, your speech kind of grows with it. You start off, you can't talk at all. But then as you kind of, as you grow up and you start to learn to talk, when I say stuff, you first you start off and you just say anything, just 
you're just kind of imitating or you're mimicking that kind of thing and you don't exactly know what to say necessarily at one point or another um, or what's appropriate at a certain point I got online and I found some stories of just some like embarrassing things that kids would say that embarrass their parents like one example says my four-year-old cousin attended my granddad's funeral recently we had just finished singing a hymn and in the quiet pause he shouts out mommy I don't like that one. Can we sing Twinkle Twinkle? <laughs> or more recently, or my recently turned five-year-old and I were walking into a store. Just outside the door was an employee who was enjoying a smoke on his break. So just as about the time we were about to pass by the man, my son loudly says, Daddy, people who smoke are stupid. <laughs> My husband took uh, the boy child to the supermarket one day when the boy was about four years old. He was in a shooting phase. He would run around with his finger loaded and cocked, ready for any likely target. So on the way to the store, there's a constant stream of gunfire going on from the back seat, to which my husband asks, what are you shooting at? And the boy announces, the red cars. I'm gonna get all the red ones. So after a few minutes, it starts wearing thin, and my husband says, why don't you pick out another target? Ah, peace at last. A couple more shots fired, and they're at the supermarket. Once they get out of the car, the boy's off again. Bang, bang, just as a dark-skinned guy walks out from between two black cars. I'm shooting the black ones now, Dad. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're young, you don't necessarily know what's appropriate to say at what time and that's something that presumably as you get older and as you mature your speech matures as you get older but see the thing is that early even at that early age though we understand the power of words we understand the wor power of words to manipulate other people my, my two-year-old niece can barely talk but she knows exactly what to say to try to get what she wants out of me. She's, she's, got the, she's got the best puppy dog eyes too. I mean, it's just, she's got the routine down pat. And we understand at that age, the power of words to hurt one another. You heard a small child say to his parents, I hate you. See, the, the child doesn't actually hate his parents, but he, under, he or she understands the power of those three words, the, the pain that it can inflict. And when they're frustrated, and they feel powerless, they understand the power that's in those words. And it's just kind of interesting to even kind of think about kind of that our early development is based on lies from parents, like I was saying earlier, and children back and forth with one another. You have this battle of the wills going on, and it's fought using words. And so presumably, as we mature, we begin to learn the ramifications of our speech. At least sort of. We sort of do. We don't always get it right, though. We're going from James chapter 3 tonight, and in verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James says those who are not at fault with their tongue are perfect. He says you're perfect if you control your speech. Which seems like an overstatement, but if you think about it for a second, just think of a couple of things. And one, one thing is, 
just think of how much, how many of your sins are speech related in some way or another. How much of it is actually speech? And the other thing is that it's just the amount of discipline that goes to keeping our tongues in check. Because it's just, it, it's really, it's just the easiest. It's the easiest way to mess up. Because you think something, like for example, if Rhonda makes me mad, I think about it, I think I want to punch her in the face. Well, it's, it's really easy to catch myself and not punch her in the face. But, uh, but it's, it's a lot easier to say something stupid when I'm angry at Rhonda. And so I think it's just, if you have that much discipline that you can control your speech every time, then you're in pretty good shape. You're going to be able to control, you're going to be able to control anything else. Because if you catch what you're going to say as you think it, I mean, that's a pretty quick reaction. But see, the other thing, part of it too, is I think we just have to understand, really grasp how powerful our words are. See, we think most of the time that the stuff we say ultimately isn't that significant. We buy into the sticks and stones, breaking bones. But words, they don't, well, they kind of hurt me. They sting a little bit, but they don't really cause any damage, right? Words are very powerful. Pick it up in chapter 3, he goes on to say, Picking up verse 3, he says, We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word, world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. And see, so you, you think about it physiologically, the tongue is very small. But you've probably heard this before, the tongue is it's the strongest muscle in your body. You know, it's little, there's, there's, there's muscles that are a lot bigger, but the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. I see it's kind of the same way with the words. It seems like words seem like a small deal. But they can have a major major impact over the course of your life even. And, and James compares it to a boat. Huge ship, just a little rudder changed the course of the whole ship. I you just think about some of the some of the small things that have imp huge impacts. Like three words I love you changes the whole course of a relationship. Something so seemingly so small has such a huge impact. A small word of encouragement to somebody can totally brighten somebody's day. Go on, go on and tell you like post secrets sometime and just read through that. And you just see all kinds of these secrets just say, talking about how just a small, a teacher or just some random person just came up to you and just smiled or said hello or have a great day. And it just, it caught them at a certain time and it just totally changed the impact of their life. Helped pull them out of depression, stuff like that. Words are extremely powerful. They can do great things, but they can also be extremely damaging. See, James also compares it to a small spark creating a huge fire, destroying things. I was just at my neighborhood one time when I was growing up. A kid was out playing with matches. They always tell you, don't play with matches when you're young because when you're immature, you don't know how to handle matches. As you grow up, presumably, 
you understand how to handle them. This kid set a whole field on fire, caused thousands of dollars in damages with just a little match and a small spark. But something small can have a huge impact. And that's the way it is with words. A damaging word that you say something, a rude, inconsiderate word that you say something, stuff you say behind people's back. I mean, just what's what's it, what's interesting about the game of telephone is how much the phrase changes as it goes around. That's why it wasn't that big a deal using such a long one because, I mean, it, it's going to change anyway. And stuff that you say about people behind their back, as it gets around, it gathers steam. It gets bigger. You can really seriously damage someone's reputation by saying something behind their back. Say it to their face, and you can seriously hurt them. And sometimes we intend to hurt. Most of the time we don't. Sometimes we're just playing around. Sometimes we're just not thinking. But see, the intent doesn't matter because the, the damage is real. I remember one time at church, I was about 16 years old, and... There's this eight-year-old kid, and we were just play wrestling, and I was picking him up and kind of swinging him around. And as I was swinging around, I accidentally dropped him. And he fell, and he started crying and freaking out. And see, the thing is, I wasn't trying to hurt him. I was only playing with him. But the pain that he felt was real regardless of my intent. And so even if you're just playing around, you have to be careful. You have to really think about it, because even meaning it minorly, even meaning it playfully, it can cause serious damage, because you don't know what's going on inside. You don't know what they've gone through that your little joke might be stirring up. In fact, another story about that, of me being really idiot. The dumbest thing I ever said in my life. I'm going to tell that story. So, I was... An intern at a campus ministry at Vincennes University years ago, and we had this kind of traveling drama team thing that we did, and so we put our equipment in these huge boxes, and a couple of them were shaped like coffins. And so me and another guy are carrying one of these coffins out, and this other guy comes up and just kind of goofing around and said, so who's in the coffin? Well, back then, I was really big on your mom jokes, and your mom being the response to everything. I've changed it to your face since then, but um, because, partially because of this. And so, it was, just, it was just a reflex. I wasn't thinking. It says, who's in the coffin? And I said, your mom. His mom had died two years before that. And he was still dealing with the pain from that. Of course I didn't mean anything by that. Of course I didn't mean to hurt him. But that's the thing. People, people carry baggage with them. And if you're not careful, something small, something insignificant, can cause huge damage and cause huge effect. This guy was pretty cool about it. Like he knew I was playing and had showed me a lot of grace and it was good. And but yeah, it just I mean I saw everybody cringe. I mean you guys <laughs> you guys get this. And so James goes on to say, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? 
neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James is using a couple of analogies here, and he's actually kind of getting at two different things here. And the first thing he says, that's about is, you have a fruit tree, like a fig tree bearing olives. It doesn't make any sense. And if you have a fig tree that's bearing olives, that's a sign that something is wrong with that tree. And I think in this case, what James is kind of getting at here is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, if we're cursing other people, if we're gossiping about other people, if stuff like that is coming out of our mouths, that is the wrong kind of fruit for someone who's a follower of Christ to be producing. And so if we're, produce, if we're saying those kind of things and yet claiming to be Christians, that's a sign that something's wrong. And it's kind of a theme that we've been touching on throughout this series of maturity that as we develop as, as people, you know, certain things should happen at certain times. And if that's not right, and if it doesn't happen, that's a sign that something's wrong. And the same thing with our spiritual maturity. If we are producing things that are out of line with what God wants us to do, if we aren't developing, if we aren't growing in certain ways, that's a sign that something's wrong. Just like a, a fig tree producing olives would be a sign that something is wrong there. And then a second analogy, he asks, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. And see, that's a, it's just a brilliant analogy because what do you get when you mix salt water and fresh water? You get salt water, exactly. And, and I think that's, he says, you know, here we are, we praise God out of our mouths and then we also tear people down out of the same mouth. And that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. And what he's saying here is when you're using your tongue, when you're using your mouth, when you're using your words to tear people down, that affects your worship of God. That dilutes it. That those curses are like the salt water. And once you have that, 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 and if that's coming out of your mouth, it doesn't matter how much fresh water you try to push out of there as, as well. It's still going to be tainted by that salt. Salt water plus fresh water, it equals salt water. And so kind of to summarize what James is saying here, is he kind of gives us three reasons that we need to watch our mouths. And one is that somebody will get hurt. As he kind of just said several times, the words that we say, they do hurt. They do sting. They do tear people down. They tear down, they tear them down emotionally. They tear down their reputations. The way that we talk about people, the way that we talk to people can be a major blessing or it can totally tear them down. Secondly, he says your credibility is affected by what you say. If you claim to be one thing but your speech isn't consistent with that, that hurts your credibility. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, but you say things that are out of line with that, that affects your credibility, he says. And he also says that our worship is affected by that. If we are tearing people down with our tongues, then God's more concerned with that than he is impressed by our worship of him. 
and we take care of that. And so taming the tongue, I think there's five steps to that. And it's a little oversimplistic, but first of all, identify the problem. What ways is your tongue out of control? Are you a gossip? Are you just always talking about people behind their backs, whatever's going on? Are you rude to people? Do you discourage them? Or even just, do you just play around so much but don't know when to stop? Identify what the problem is, is your first step. And the second step is to confess that and seek restoration. If you're gossiping, you need to confess that to yourself. You need to confess that to God. And you need to seek reconciliation with the people that you've torn down. I'll kind of do a little more on that in just a minute. The third thing you need to do is commit to change. And just tell yourself, I'm not. I'm not going to keep gossiping. I'm not going to keep gossiping. And just keep telling yourself that over and over. And the fourth thing is to learn from the master. See, we, we, learned, we learned how to talk by imitating other people. When we're little, most, it's mostly our parents that affect us, but just anybody who's talking around us, that's how we learn to talk. And, and we pick up their speech, their mannerisms in doing so. In fact, when I was looking up those stories about stuff that the kid's saying, there were several that involved profanity. And here's the thing, in every one of those stories, the person telling the story knew who the source was. They, they knew where the kid picked it up in each of those stories. It was always like, yeah, and you know, my son, you know, my my husband is always saying this, and one day I'm out with my kid, and he says this. And, and it can always be traced back. Every one of those stories had some adult who child picked it up. And, and likewise, that's how we learn. And so we need to imitate Jesus. We need to, I mean, that's why we did Encounters with Jesus last semester. So we need to imitate the Master. We need to learn the Master. We need to adopt his mannerisms. That's one reason that reading scripture is so important because that gets ingrained in your head. And then the fifth step is to fill that space with encouraging words. The time that you now are not saying bad things about people, replace that by saying good things about people. If you are the type to make coarse jokes at people or be rude to people, just commit yourself to say, I'm gonna go out and encourage people. Or if you're a gossip and you say bad things about people behind their back, Next time you're in a circle of people and the gossip's coming, commit yourself to standing up and saying something good. You know, take up for the person. And see, here's the thing. See, James compares taming the tongue like taming an animal. And see, taming an animal is difficult. It's a painful process, and there's a lot of failure that happens before you get it right. For example, if you're trying to break a horse, you're going to get thrown off a lot. The horse doesn't want to be broken. It doesn't want to... It doesn't want you on its back. And so it's going to throw you off. And so you're going to fall off a lot. You're going to get hurt. And you have to keep getting back up and keep doing it. But see, over time, if you keep committing yourself to this, and you keep working at it, eventually your brain, your reaction time, when a dumb thought comes into your head and you're about to verbalize it, you'll eventually start catching yourself if you really commit yourself to this over and over. And that's why it's so important to just kind of, first of all, identify it and just kind of have that in your head. Hey, I'm a gossip. I need to stop. And yeah, you're still going to gossip sometimes, but as you're doing it, at some point you're going to start catching yourself midway through 
and then you'll catch yourself early on and then eventually you might catch yourself before it even comes out and you're in good shape confessing and restoration you do that enough times and you really humble yourself like that that'll definitely kind of get it put in your head and so taming an animal is difficult there's lots of failing involved but here's the thing finally in the end when you do tame an animal instead of having something wild something destructive you have something useful you have you have a worker you get a horse broken you got something you can ride around now you got something really useful really helpful rather than something really wild and scary and crazy and so it's definitely an important process to go through and so Jamie's gonna come up and we're gonna kind of stress the confession and rest reconciliation a little bit so